Recordings really only should go about an hour, but I add the extra half an hour explicitly so if we have catastrophic recording Which we issues. did, and it was so frustrating. <laughs> but it's fine. We figured we it out. You found the flange. Yeah. <laughs> you hit it, and now, now we can record this episode of the podcast. Hi, and welcome to King of the Thirst. My name is Abigail Kelly. I'm with Trish Heinrich. We're, yes, we're doing we it. We're doing, doing it. it. We're done it. Can I just tell you how much I love that you use the word flange? Because in my opinion, it's not used <laughs> it's enough in everyday language. It's a good word. Yes, it's a great yeah. word. Yeah. I uh, Whenever I think of Facebook, I think of flanges. Because I think of Facebook as being the most absolutely chaotically ill-designed uh interface ever made um and i think of all of the all of the boxes and hidden little buttons and things and i think yeah facebook is just a bunch of broken flanges i don't know how to use any of it and i don't care to learn <laughs> actually i don't yeah. know if we're recording yet that's oh we are recording, we are recording. all right <laughs> awesome <laughs> yeah it's fine. Everything's cool. Uh, I'm glad, so the, I, I'm glad just, the flange conversation got in. I think it's important. It's You know what? Nothing gets more romantic than flanges. <laughs> Hi and welcome to my TED Talk. I'm here to tell you about different metaphors for penises, including flippable flanges. Between cock pocket and flange. I, those two are now my oh. new favorites. Hey, I'm pretty sure. I don't think that when I had Christine on, I don't think she mentioned cock pockets. So I think that might be the first uh, utterance of the phrase I, on, on my podcast. Think, I think her Spider-Man had... He, he definitely had, had one, for sure. And Mothman did, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, CMS Costa, known for two things, milk and yes. cock pockets. And you can take that to the bank. <laughs> You're welcome, Christine. <laughs> I haven't. I, I, I really, I haven't had the guts to venture into cock pockets yet, mainly because I'm just like, I, I visually, I still have a hard time f- figuring it out. It takes me a second to wrap my head around it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool. I like that. So we just released an episode on one of my favorite books of all time, um, which is The Scorpion's Mate by mm. Susan Trombley. Now, it is a masterpiece of alien romance. It is incredible. It is about an alien scorpion that has been turned into a humanoid alien scorpion and him finding his fated mate in a human who is a cyber goth and internet famous for her um, cool industrial dancing. Oh, my God. Now, <laughs> That's got all the now, things. <laughs> it's got everything. Susan Trombley is a fucking yes. genius. I love her. Also, she listened to the podcast and loved it. Susan, you're <laughs> amazing. Um, okay, but listen, he is a, he is a scorpion man, which means he's got chitin. He's got all the chitin. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's got body armor. He looks kind of like a ninja. He's got a thing over his face. Anyway, but that means that he has a cock pocket. Now, if you don't know what that is, listener, you're well, you're about to learn. Um, <laughs> and it's when uh, a being with uh, a penis can retract or extrude that penis in and out of their body. Now, that is the smarter way to have genitalia because it keeps it safe, keeps it secret. Keeps it safe. Um, it's now, the Gandalf of penile protection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Now, the scorpion man has a little plate that kind of goes over his, but then when he wants to do it, he has to take the plate off and kind of just, like, pop it off like the lid of a soda, <laughs> and then it comes out. Now, now, Trish, now, at that point, he can use the, his penis to do one of two things, get nasty or get nastier, by which I mean he provides a perfectly calibrated nutrient slurry to sustain his mate through his penis. Okay, so this reminds me of Finley Fenn, because one of um, her oh, orcs, oh, yes, her orcs have nutritionally rich milkshakes, shall we say. Excretions. <laughs> oh, they produce so yes. much of it, don't they? I also love Finley to death. Finley's She's a great She's awesome, and there, but there, I have to admit, there was a point where I was like, I don't know if I can take any more cum. Like, I'm just not sure if I can take any more. The cleanup, the, the cleanup is troubling. I think about the, the need for uh, the lack of rubber sheets because they don't have yes. rubber sheets in this medieval style world. I think of the buckets. When I, <laughs> I think I made a joke ages ago with her, like two, two of her releases ago. Um, I made a joke that uh, when you pick up a Finley Fen book, you need to bring a bucket for tears and a bucket for other stuff. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Because she's going to break your heart. I don't know how Finley writes some of the nastiest smut I've ever read in my life, but also manages to make me cry like an absolute yes, maniac every single thank book. thank you. Yeah, she's incredibly talented. Finley, Ruby, you're amazing. She is Ruby also Dixon, a friend of the pod. The Half-Orc's Bride made me tear up. Mm. And it wasn't like it was an especially sad book. It wasn't, really. It was very sweet. But, man, there were some parts of it. I was tearing up. I was super touched. It was great. Yeah, they've been getting us lately. They've been they've been kicking us in the face. I um I read her when she's lonely. Oh, I haven't read her that latest Rizdiverse book. Oh my god, it hurt me so good. <laughs> Ruby, man, and it's like it's it's really it's about a heroine who is um who is deaf or at least she's not completely deaf. She's hard of hearing, and um she's too afraid to admit oh. it. So she pretends that she's not, but because she's pretending that she's not hard of hearing, she has isolated herself from everyone because they all think she's a dick because all she does is yell at people. Um, and it's until one day, one of the like peacekeepers, one of the alien men who is, you know, in charge of helping people is like, fuck, this lady is the worst. Like, I guess I got to go help her out. And he figures out that she, you know, oh my God. It, it's, it's not that she, yeah, it is, it is incredible That's it's brilliant. a beautiful book and in in the end it's about like well you know we have the technology to mm-hmm. to help you um if you want and and um she's like well first of all i'm not broken secondly um i don't want any record of me being imperfect because what happens to imperfect slaves is they get put down oh my um, god oh my god <laughs> this book is like 200 pages long and she has managed to like i oh that's some skill we know and, this. but the thing i love about it we is this. it's kind of like actors i i was an actor before i was a, an author and we used to talk about how um the more you work the better you get because you hone these skills yeah. until they become instincts and i yeah. think it's the same thing with authors Absolutely. ruby's been doing this for a long time i mean her backlist is a mile and a half long it's yeah. incredible. She's uh, and she's also just like the nicest person alive. Ruby's uh, done some incredibly kind things for me, and I'm just some rando <laughs> on the internet. Like I don't know. Like I don't. I I I heard that Ruby Dixon was super nice, and then I actually talked to Ruby Dixon, and I was like, Oh yeah. God, you're you're like 
so nice. Um, so I always tell people, so I, I am also a bookseller and um, I carry Ruby's books in, in the store because, of course, I have my own romance section that I lovingly curate. <laughs> and uh, it's got the weird shit in it. It's got like got alien shit. Oh I got fantasy God, shit. I, I got all, it. baby. Um, whenever somebody buys one of Ruby's books, which happens fairly regularly, um, they come up to the counter and I'm just like, just so you know, she's a really, really good person. So you should feel good about your purchase. My close and personal friend Ruby Dixon is great. Thank you very much. You turn into the Guido of the romance world. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really, it's really something. I. It also happens that I have so many of like our friends on the shelves now too. So I literally, people will buy the books. And I'll be like, oh, you know, it's just this is just my friend Vella Roth. You know, her books are good. I'm glad. I hope you like him. She's also she, a good she's person. She's wonderful. She's my you know? personal friend. <laughs> Yeah, she's my close personal friend, Velarotha, and also my close personal friend, Victoria Aveline, and also my close personal friend, uh, Ruby Dixon, you know. I love that, yeah, though. It's, it's good. I absolutely love it. I I think it was Christine um, that mentioned, like, when she went viral for Morning Glory Milking uh-huh. Farm, that Ruby was one of the people that actually reached out to her and was like, how you doing? And I just, <laughs> yeah, I love hearing that kind of stuff. It's it's like that the artists that you love, you want to hear that they're genuinely good people, that that art comes from yeah. a place of being a good person. Yeah, we're all a bunch of weirdos doing the weirdest possible thing. So I I think that, I don't know, I, I somebody in my, my Patreon Discord the other day was like, you know, I, I don't remember what it was like to not be able to just ask my favorite author, like questions about her books 24 7 and have her answer immediately and i'm like i i had this moment where i was like wow i'm really glad that you feel like you can do that because i think it would be it would be really lame if people thought i was like too smart or too cool or too whatever to not talk to me um and so it's a really it's a really wonderful thing to know that like yeah we're all just a bunch of weirdos writing really weird you know kissy yeah. stories and if you dm one of us the likelihood is like we're gonna answer and be chill like i and then you you know encounter people who are like titans in mm-hmm. their genre like ruby dixon who have no reason really to continue to do that like i imagine the dearth of oh dms that God. she gets every single yes. day is like incredible and yet she will reply mm-hmm. to you and be like yes like how can i help like sure give you know send me that arc or whatever as she did with me. I want you to know that the very first thing I ever sent Ruby Dixon was a picture of my friend wearing a t-shirt I made of him from the episode that we recorded on her dragon books that said, barbecue my sphincter dratty. <laughs> oh my God. Did she die? <laughs> yeah, she, she was like, this is amazing. And I was like, thank you. I'm glad that this, hi, I love you. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed my t-shirt I made. It was also a deliberately shitty looking t-shirt. Like it was bad. Um, and then like the next time we talked, uh, like really talked, I think was when I was like, hey, um, I know that you've liked some of my stuff. Would you please like an arc of my book? It's okay if the answer is no, but would you, would you please look at this that I made it? Thank you very much. And then she read it in like oh a week. God. And I was like, ah! Hi, I, that's on my bucket yeah. list. There are some, there are a couple of authors that I'm like, you know what? The day I see them make a TikTok about one of my books is the day I'm like, I'll probably, I'll probably pee myself. Like, honestly, I'll probably make a carpet Just mess. S- 
ascend from this plane onto yes. the next one. Yes. I, I, yeah, I was working. It was a busy Saturday and I was working when I got her email. Um, and I was like, oh, <laughs> you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my okay. God. I had to go sit in the bathroom for 10 oh. minutes. Like my poor coworker. I was like, can I just, can I just go? He's like, yeah, go ahead. And I was like, I had to go sit my head between my knees. Um, yeah, it was a lot. So a lot when I think about it. Um, Ruby's a, Ruby's a good egg. But you know what? Ruby's gotten enough exposure from me. <laughs> she gets enough of me. We're here to talk about okay, you, sorry. Trish. We're 50 but minutes into this. I will say, this. I love, I, my, my two best friends do not read in this genre. <clears throat> So yeah. I can't really go all fangirl with them about it. So I love meeting people like you yeah. that I can be like, oh, my God, that milking book. <laughs> wow. You know, or like, you know, something yeah. like, you know, all of the all of the messes in the Finley Fen books. Like you would get it. That's all I have to say. Yeah. It's really nice. It is yes. nice, isn't it? It is really yes. good. So I have enjoyed I, uh, this I, immensely. <laughs> you have no idea. This feeds my soul. <laughs> It's so funny, too, because I have forced my friends to know about this stuff now. Like, the reason I started the podcast was because I was, like, I I was reading at the height of the pandemic. I was reading, like, three books oh, a day. Oh, wow. And, uh, like, I, it was pathological. Um, and I, I was, you know, reading Ruby Dixon. And I was reading Finley Fenn. And I was reading all of these incredible, ridiculous books. And I was, like, I need to tell people about these. And my my friends and my roommates were, like, you have got to stop. Like, I love you, but you have got to stop. And I was like, okay, that's fair. How about I start a podcast where I have to have guests and then you, and then you have to sit and listen to me talk about it. And that's pretty much how the podcast began is that I could then force my friends to sit for an hour in my closet and listen to me talk about Finley Fenn's books or like Molly Dillon's books or whoever. That's brilliant. That's diabolical. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, that led to me doing author interviews like now. Um, and that way I could then talk to people who actually knew <laughs> what I was talking about and who could bring it, bring the heat themselves. It's, it's been great. And now, of course, some of my friends have started reading romance. And also now they are fully invested in the series nice. that I tell them about. Um, so it's it's really great. It's 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 worked out. It's been it's been such a joy. I mean, it's such a ridiculous genre and I love it to death. I, I take it so seriously and not seriously at all. And I think that's the only way you really know. That's it, exactly right? it. It's it, I love how monster romance and sci-fi romance in particular combine something that is at face value, like way over the mm-hmm. top. Like, like if you were to describe oh, it, to people, absolutely it's, absurd. Yeah, it's way over the top absurd, but you couple it with heart the way that a lot of the authors mm-hmm. we were ta- we've just been talking about do it with people that you actually get invested in and you care about them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it super powerful. I, I had asked um, Lillian Lark once why, you know, why people mm-hmm. like monster romance. And I loved her response. It's really stuck with me. And she was talking about how it's this idea of what is perhaps physically unlovable being lovable being beautiful yeah. and i love that idea i i love yeah. i love bringing in um heroes that are uh, unlikable in different ways and making them yeah. be the lovable one so and i think monster yeah. romance and sci-fi in particular you get a lot of that which is really cool yeah and i think i don't know i i i think that at its heart it's always going to be hopeful yes. um 
you know, even if it does like even if you know that your readers are going into it thinking that this like monster is attractive, so you're not having to jump over the hurdle of making them lovable necessarily, mm-hmm. there's this idea that like there's always going to be hope of a better yeah. future if you can make a connection even across the boundaries of, you know, magical races or space and time or whatever it is, right? Um, I think that's what really draws us to it is this, like, solid kernel of, like, no, we're going to make this work. Um, And that's, I don't know, that's just great. That's just a really, really great ethos to have to always, and and that goes hand in hand with the trust that all romance readers have, right? That it's going to end happily ever after no matter what. and that's, I don't know, I think that's that's just a, if, we got a lot of problems in our here beautiful industry, don't yes, we? we do. But but that one at least is not that's a problem. That's like the one thing we can agree <laughs> on, is it's know? like, it's only romance uh-huh. if it has an H-E-A or a happily for now. Like, it has to end on a high note, um, no matter the yep. struggles. And honestly, I love romance for that. I love that it can, it can take me through all this stuff, it can break my heart, it can make me tense what's going to happen, but I always know it's going to end up okay. And I think yeah, in particular, the last couple of years with everything we've gone through with the pandemic and everything else, having, it might sound silly, but having something you can count on like that, where it's like, I can escape into this and I know no matter how dark it gets, it's going to get light again. That's what I've, one of the things I've always loved about storytelling is that you can take people places you can take them out of wherever they're at whether you know it's yeah. they're sitting in a hospital with a loved one or it's a sleep deprived mom who just wants 10 minutes on the toilet without her kid crying at her um you know yeah. you can transport people you can make them laugh you can make them think you can make them cathartically cry like i i love yeah. the power that good storytelling has i i always have i i think it's it's underappreciated the space that storytelling takes up in our genetic yes. legacy. We have been telling stories from the moment we developed language. Probably we developed language specifically to tell stories. The transfer of information and transportation of imagination is what built our brains into what they are today. We are designed to absorb and to create yes. stories. And this idea that like, <laughs> I, I don't know, that that e- e- stories don't have an intrinsic sort of value because of that, no matter what yes. the story is, is absurd. Like this is what makes us human is the idea that we can tell mm-hmm. stories. It's amazing. We wouldn't be where we are today yes. without stories. Um, and I, I think that it is the idea that like telling stories and and reading stories and however you do that, whether that's visual media or an audio books, mm-hmm. I don't like it's, it's all storytelling. I, I mean, in this idea, the audio isn't storytelling is ridiculous because pre written yeah. language, it was all verbal. It was all passed down orally. So this idea that yeah. an audio book isn't a real book is 
I mean, it's it's Laughable. so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like there are certain things that I personally like. I don't listen to audiobooks that are like I can't listen to romance audiobooks because I just get so embarrassed, <laughs> so embarrassed. I read, I listen to almost exclusively nonfiction in audiobooks I because do I too. just like blow through nonfiction yeah. books that way. But like. Oh my, I get so embarrassed. What are they I think for me, I, in my I ears? Think for me, the reason I don't do a lot of fiction audio is mainly because I'm, I've got to do something else while I'm doing it. And I tend to absorb nonfiction better when I'm cross-stitching or on a walk or cooking. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. fiction, <laughs> there have been times when I've tried to listen to a fiction book while cooking and I'm just sitting there staring yeah. at the oven. Because I'm like, I, I get caught up in the yeah. story. Your brain yeah, turns exactly. off. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I can't do what it. I, what was I doing? I start feeling too much. Like, so my brother loves the adventure zone. Um, and I, uh, you know, I love, I love McElroy Brothers. Like I even got into the adventure zone myself. I don't know if you I ever don't. listened um, to. So it is a narrative D&D podcast. Oh, cool. um, and each arc is like. A, a mm-hmm. campaign um and it's three brothers and their dad and one of the brothers is a dm and um the first one was set in a sort of like or not the first one i guess it was the second one um it was set in sort of like a twin peaksy like monster of the week okay. style campaign um and I, I that's my shit i didn't really care about the first arc it was all like high fantasy stuff eh. I was like, give me that Pacific Northwest Gothic aesthetic. Yes. I love it. The like, the, uh, the soundtrack was amazing. It was fantastic. The, my favorite character was Duck. He was a taciturn um, uh, forest oh, ranger, essentially. Awesome. It was amazing. Um, he was fighting monsters and he hated it. It was awesome. But I got like, I got like 20 episodes into this and I found myself getting so emotionally invested that I was like, I have to stop listening to this because I know something bad is going to happen. And I'm getting like real panic, like real deep in the chest panic that something terrible is going to happen to these people I love. And I think I like need to stop listening. (laughs) And so I had to like, had to put it aside. It was also like, oh God, it probably was around like the height of lockdown oh. too so like i just like it's couldn't much take stress. the existential yeah. dread that's yeah. kind of like critical um, role my husband got me into into critical role and um yeah. i would get like that uh not the campaign they're in right now but the one previously i got attached to a couple of mm-hmm. those characters and the one of the final fights like it wasn't looking good for anybody and i was like honey i can't do it i was like i'm gonna need you to tell me if yeah. i'll live or not because i i couldn't <laughs> do it like if jester died i was like I'm out. I can't. <laughs> I got, I can't, I can't with it about it. I can't, like, I knew, I'm pretty sure my boy, my boy died. And I was like, mm, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to live here for a while where he's yep. doing great and he's living his best life. And I'm going to pretend like everything else yep. didn't happen. Uh, Cause I just can't deal with that. Um, and I, I think like, also that's the problem with like non romance yes, media. Stressful. Is that like, <laughs> They can yes, die. It's so <laughs> I can't take yeah. that. You can't die on me. You can't take my boy. Well, away. Strange, that, that's how I feel about Stranger Things. The first two seasons, I was like, "You're gonna straight up kill that oh, little God, boy, yeah. aren't you?" Like, I was worried yeah. about that. And then, like, Sean asked—sorry, anybody that hasn't seen it—but Sean Aston's character gets eaten, and I'm like. I'm that was so messed now. up. I thought I was certain that he was going to be evil for the Me entire, too. like I thought he was going to be like a sleeper yes. agent. And then it turned out he was just a really, really nice dude. And I was like, actually, I really like you. Bam. 
Yeah. Gacked. Just Done. taken out. Eaten yep. alive. No. And that Awful. was exactly my experience, too. I was like, oh, no, you are. Go- oh, they got it. <laughs> like, it was just. Yeah. No. Yeah. It was sad. Trash. Too much. Too much for my poor, my poor, delicate yep. constitution. Um, But, Trish, speaking of poor and yes, delicate yes, constitutions, yes. let's yes, talk about I'm your sorry. Books. We got derailed. Uh- <laughs> that's fine i i i just wanted to talk because i had a moment of like deep self-reflection when i was i was going through your backlist and i was reading your books and i was like oh boy this takes me this takes me places (laughs) because i rarely talk about it on the podcast but how i kind of got started in art school and in fandom and stuff um so Mm -hmm. backstory I am a uh, trained illustrator. I went oh, to art school. Cool. Um, yeah, it's a thing. Um, and But I originally went into art school because I wanted to make comics. Um, I, I wanted to uh, tell stories, but I also wanted to do art. So I was trying to combine my two loves. And that kind of was born from when I was a kid, I or like 13 or so is when I started writing novels. And then I fell in love with art in high school specifically i really got into at that same time superhero comics and superheroes in general and the avengers movie had just come out i think when i was in my god it was like the the day after i got out of junior year so summer started i went and saw the first avengers movie at a drive-in um and it was like, of course, that turned into what has now become, you know, this massive mm-hmm. empire. But at the time, it was like, oh, my, this is like the coolest thing that's ever <laughs> happened. Um, oh, my God. Uh, and and so then I went on to, like, two years later, go to art school to do comics and to do all these things. Um, and I just had this, like, come to Jesus moment when I was going through your backlist. And I was just like, oh, my God, I know a lot about superheroes that I've forgotten. And I was like, and I love that your books are all about, like, the original kind of bombastic superhero camp. <laughs> like I was reading, I was like, the, I opened the first one. I was like, oh my God, she's an investigative journalist in this like superhero city about to go hunt down a superhero angel. Fuck yeah, that's awesome. That's great, Trish. You funky little creature. What are you doing I over love there? Lois and Clark, that whole dynamic I, I could tell yeah, I love I love that dynamic and I um like Margot Kidder as Lois Lane as a kid watching that mm-hmm. I wanted yeah. to be her so hard like her and Princess Leia yeah. were were the people I wanted to grow up and be and so I couldn't yeah. get that relationship out of my head when I sat down to write that mm-hmm. I, and I also wanted to write something that was a bit of a love letter to the show Lucifer so I thought it's kind of like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Two great tastes. Also a show I loved. Yes. <laughs> Trish, you and I, we're all, we're all the same brain. Yeah, all right. Baby. <laughs> we're the same it's people. Good. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I'm so curious. So I, I, I know that you, you love Lois Lane and you have this like long history with superhero media and stuff. Um, I'm curious as to why you decided you were going to write romance novels kind of in this world because I got the feeling that your stuff very much edges on traditional paranormal 
Um, you use a lot of the same elements, a lot of the same, you know, voice and and even the same like, you know, I mean, we're all pulling from the same pod, I guess. But like, like angels and stuff, that, that's a yeah. that's a paranormal, you know, creature. Um, and so I had this I, I, I had this thought when I was reading, I was like, I wonder what the reason is for you choosing this very distinct path towards campy superhero, like unapologetic wild ass superhero shit. Cause I think in, in the now we've gotten kind of jaded towards the original kind of uh, DNA of superheroes. Now we're trying to do like really gritty stuff and we're trying to like all the, the many various spinoffs and everyone's trying to do something different and, something that's divorced from yes. that core, I think. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see why you chose to do that. So um, I was writing uh, straight up superhero fiction uh, with my pen name T.L. Yeah. Heinrich. And yes. I, I honestly got kind of burned out on it um, mm-hmm. and just decided, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to write this romance novel <clears throat> that I had an idea for. But I wanted fans from my superhero world to be able to pick that up and recognize the world mm-hmm. a little bit. So I wanted a little bit of transition between the two. And I decided to set it because the, the superhero novels I had been reading are actually set in the 60s. They're set in the past, which yeah. I thought was a cool idea at the time. But from a marketing standpoint, that was a super hard sell. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. Tough sell. So yeah. I moved the timeline, everything up to the present. Um, with some nods to the universe that I had created um, and thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to go with what's recognizable. I'm going to pull some recognizable elements from my, my other stuff and put it in here um, because I, I do love superheroes so much. And mm-hmm. it was kind of the, the place that I was comfortable in. I, I kind of knew it really well. Yeah. And I needed some comfortable elements as I branched off into a genre I had never done before and I was really nervous about. Yeah. So I think that's kind of why I smushed them together so much. Um, really, that first book has the most superhero rec- you know, elements in it. The rest of the books are very yeah. different. Um, they focus more on the family struggles and on those the individual struggles uh, that the siblings have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kind of evil organization that I ended up making the bad guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I needed some grounding just for me personally. Uh, and that's why I pulled in those superhero elements that I, that I really love. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because I think it would have been really easy for you to, I don't know. I think there is the difference between what is a superhero and what is uh, just regular paranormal or urban fantasy or whatever is a cape, pretty much. <laughs> it's um, a fine line. So, it is a you know, fine line. It's a very fine line. Um, and it, I think it would have been very easy for you to just kind of be like, well, yes, these all of these people exist in this world, but, y- you know, you didn't necessarily have to add that yeah. shimmer to it, right? Um, but I, I understand wanting to make things kind of recognizable. Also, to build things in a world that you had already mm-hmm. set the foundations for in another series. I think that's that's very... Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wouldn't want to necessarily abandon my universe <laughs> either. I get that. I understand that. I put a lot of, I put a lot of work well, into I that. I ended up retiring that pen name because I really fell in love with writing romance and realized, yeah. no, this is really where I'm supposed to be. Um, yeah. I still love those books. They're the they're what got me into publishing in the first place. Um, 
And yeah. you know, I still I still bring in some of those elements. My my next series is a spin-off still in that world, um, just focusing on monsters mm-hmm. and that secret organization that was evil and now it's like what's left of it, people mm-hmm. are trying to make it not evil anymore. And so um yeah. Yeah, I I don't know how much I'm going to be bringing in, but I mean, it'll be there. It'll some of it'll still be there, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, the DNA if it's at the foundation of the series, and it's yeah, it's going to be somewhere. in there somewhere. I'll, right? think, like, I'll figure no, it out. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm interested to to ask you. I mean, as someone who has written now quite a bit um, about superheroes and and their place in the world and how they then have you know real relationships with the people around them which is at the core of all romance novels right no matter what you dress it up as it is a relationship between people um and you have to sell the emotion between them no matter what you're putting on a set dressing no matter how you know how many fireworks you have going off in the background people have to care um so i'm i'm interested in in your your interpretation of um where superheroes and this this like really iconic but very shallow i think uh character trope fits into a world that is supposed to be for the reader built on raw emotion and direct emotional Mm. connection that's a really good question um i think for me anyway and in the in the, the superheroes that i love i think they're the ones that have the most emotional depth to them like the most complexity like I do love Superman but um give me a good dark and brooding broken hero any day of the week right um Batman yeah like Nightwing I really love Nightwing um I love Harley Quinn like the newer Harley Quinn Margot Robbie and the cartoon that's on HBO that is just way over the top violent and grotesque but these characters it's kind of like monster romance, honestly. They're on the surface very ridiculous. But if you delve a little bit beneath that, you have people that are abused and trying to fight through the emotional wreckage of that. Or you have people that are outcasts and they're trying to find a place in the world, you know. Um, Spider-Man is an interesting one because, I mean, really you could boil everything down to guilt for him. This guilt of feeling and this complexity of having this messiah complex at the same time he's trying to have a normal life and how those two things um tug at each other and i think that's it's actually you it's very easy in some ways to put a romance in there because and and as a lot of people have done with spider-man in particular with mary jane or gwen stacy um you've got batman and catwoman which is a great kind of you know she's kind of an agent of chaos and he's got these very strict um, thoughts about justice and what is right and what is wrong. And then you plop a romance into that. And I feel like it kind of, it even adds a little bit more emotional depth to it. So I think it's, it's, it's all in the how that you do it. First of all, if you just make somebody a straight up hardcore vigilante um, without any of the other emotional complexities, then I think it would be kind of hard to make them relatable, but just like with any character in, in any kind of romance, um, You've yeah. got to you've got to explore those wounds, and I I personally like tying the wounds into if I'm writing a superhero or I'm writing somebody like Nathan in um, Devil's Temptation, I like tying their wounds a little bit into that hero complex, you know. And Nathan mm-hmm. comes to it very reluctantly. He doesn't really want this legacy. It's kind of forced on him, mm-hmm. and he's pissed about it. Um, 
and you find out why it's part of some very deep childhood wounds, some very deep personal wounds. And that's why he doesn't want it. He doesn't feel like he's worthy of it. He doesn't feel like it was fair for him to just have this expectation of, you know, that he was just going to do this. Um, which then bleeds into his relationship with Tessa, where he doesn't feel worthy of her love either. And he feels like he has to keep all these secrets from her. So I like if if that's answering, I hope that's answering your question. I feel like I went off a little bit, Um, but I like making it this tangled ball that the characters have to try to figure out how to untangle by the end of the book. So, yeah, no, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that the trick with superheroes is that the perfection and the like shallow character is a shell, a really, really Mm -hmm. shiny shell. And the only reason we actually care about superheroes is because underneath they have to be even more human than everyone else. Um, Because if you are somebody who's capable of what superheroes are capable of, um, you've got some, oh, you got some baggage in there somewhere. I betcha. One way yes. or another. I, and how you handle that baggage determines uh, if you're the hero or the villain. Honestly. Yeah. I'm be real real with you, Trish. I'm be okay. real real. Be real real. I almost universally prefer the villains. <laughs> Me too. Which is why Nathan is yeah. kind of a bad boy. <laughs> a little, little bit. A little bit. I was like, oh, okay. A little spicy yeah. in there. He's like, new um, girl every night of the week. I sometimes more than one girl every night of the week. Like. When I said he was a Lucifer, when, it, when I said it was a Lucifer yeah. love letter, I mean, it's yeah. very clearly a Lucifer yeah. love letter. Pretty direct yes. analog there, huh? <laughs> yeah. I I am the same way. It's so funny because people tell me that I write like really big cinnamon roll heroes. Um, and that this is not untrue. Um, I just find it hilarious that that's the space that I'm at now. Whereas like formatively, my very first TV crush or like very first character crush was freaking Hades from the Hercules movies. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, like full on, like I, I love Draco Malfoy. Oh, yeah. Like I lo- like I, I wanted, I wanted to. I'm gonna be honest, I wanted a piece of shit. Cause like I was like, it's gonna be so satisfying when I yes. fix you. Yes. And, that, and that I think speaks to like why I became a writer. Cause I was like, I wonder how how would that even work? How would yes, that even like exactly. be fixed? Like Trish, when I tell you some of the fan fiction I wrote. What was there any Dramione stuff in there? Um, that is a word to be said out loud, huh? My goodness. <laughs> Certain words should only ever be read and never spoken. Um, my goodness. No, I, I did initially. That was my footholds. Um, caveat here to say that fuck JK yes. Rowling. But before, before everything, before we knew, um, no, I. <laughs> See, I kind of personally feel like the fans own that fanfic space. Like. It's it's a conversation to be had, yes. certainly. I think it's all up to kind of personal Abs- what absolutely. you're willing to... I mean, you're not giving her any money if you're, you know, reading fanfic at the same time. Yeah, I, like, I don't know. I, I understand both yes, conversations. absolutely. I guess I, you would mention Draco. So and I was, as, most people that like Draco, they ship him with somebody in the 
the sand. Well, here's the deal. Well, here's the deal. Her, I always had like a fixation with one female okay. character, um, in whatever I was into. So like when it was Inuyasha, it was Kagome. When it was Harry Potter, it was Hermione because she was really really smart and she was treated like yes, shit because of it. Thank you. Um, yeah. Um. <clears throat> however, <laughs> however, Trish, Hermione was a was a was a was a step. Was a step into the it real was the gateway drugs. <laughs> what, what is it? Tell me. My ass wrote and read almost exclusively Tom Ione, which was Tom Riddle and Hermione. Now you might know Tom Riddle as the man who would go on Hold to become yeah. Voldemort. The villain of the whole thing. Yes. Now here's what you... I, oh, Trish, I see it on your face. You're going, how, Abigail, how is that even possible? Well, I'm here to tell you <laughs> that time travel was used a lot. In which I am fully on board with, honestly. Yes. I, I, what I wanted was I wanted an author to have to bend over backwards to save a character and make them mm. redeemable or sell the romance even when he wasn't yeah. redeemable. I, I've ooh, read, you know ooh, what? Mm, there are some eat that great, up like a corn cob. Nah, 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 nah. I just read one like that where I was like, technically, you're kind of a psychopath, but I'm okay with that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the book was Hooked. I don't know if you've read Hooked. Oh, it's, interesting. Um, it's a series. It's no. modern. It's all modern um, retellings of villains. Is that a Katie Robert? No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. The Wicked. Okay. I, I love the Wicked Villains. I have over in the yeah. corner, I have the, the Kickstarter um hardcovers they're gorgeous um no this is different this is actually so it is very similar like uh hook is a mobster but he cray cray Mm -hmm. um he's he's very well like he's captain james Hook. yeah but i was like i I was even shocked i was like wow she made him borderline irredeemable with some of his actions but for some reason i did not care and if you can sell it, I mean, that's the trick with dark yeah. romance. It's like, I'm not asking you to make this character a cinnamon roll. I'm asking you to make me fall in love with this character yes. anyway. And that is a much it's harder hard. thing yeah. to do. It's almost impossible. Like, really, because if you one misstep and the, you put the book yeah. down. There are, I mean, there are, there are authors I've tried to read. I'm like, you went a little too far for me personally. Because we all yeah. have our different lines in the sand. Yeah, and again, that is also mm-hmm. what makes dark romance really difficult. Is because one person's that's not that's not that far. Is another person's way over the line. Um, oh yeah, but I greatly admire authors that just put it all out there, and they're like, "Here's here's yeah. my bad guy. Fall in love with him or not. You know, this is what I wrote. I yeah. love that. I love that kind of courage personally. I I think it's great. I mean, I I've well. This is coming on the heels of a two-parter mafia romance uh, episode I did where I read, fam, update, I'm up to like 45 mafia romances yeah. I've read this year. I'm not a proud woman. <laughs> it's just it's just what it is. Um, and I have, I, I came at it from a place of foreign skepticism <laughs> because I was like, Boy, howdy! I'm not necessarily a fan of all of this, huh? This whole, all of it, this whole deal, this whole, this whole thing that's going on here. Um, and there are definitely some parts of mafia romance that are fucking busted, dog. <laughs> so busted! Oh my god! Yeah. So busted. No, However, there's there queens. Some of it, it monsters and queens, or queens and monsters. I forget the name. It's what oh. it's 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 queens and monsters, but it, that might be switch it around. 
Um, mm-hmm. That is, so my first mafia romances were, were Katie Roberts. And then I started reading um, mm-hmm. this series. And these guys are even more hardcore. Like, I mean, just, wow, you just blew that guy's head off. Like, didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, or like you just you just locked the your love interest in a cage, huh? You just yeah. you just did that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Luke was like that. Yeah. He thinks she betrays him and he does something. I don't want to ruin it for people that haven't read it, but yeah. He does something and I'm like, how is he going to come back from this? Because right now yeah. I really don't like this guy. And she made it yeah. work. I was that was yeah. what really got me. I was like, okay, yeah, I can I can buy this. I can't say that my fan fiction that I wrote when I was 13 slash 14 um, had that level of skill. Uh, I'm just going to blanket caveat there. Pretty sure it didn't. <laughs> Pretty sure it just <laughs> was just kind of all bad. That's what, um, see, <laughs> this is what I love about fan fiction. I love how many... Yeah authors published authors come out of fan fiction because they cut their teeth for years writing and they learn how to do it they learn how to tell a good story it is a i I like to say that it's a really soft place to come up as for as as shitty as the entirety of the word fandom can be um and often is it does its best to to really be terrible um fan fiction itself if you just kind of take that away and make it its own thing for somebody who is just exploring writing and in reading i i that's how i came to reading at all oh. honestly is because i was a really reluctant reader and i um i was reading well below my level until about 10 and it wasn't until i discovered fan fiction romantic fan fiction that i was like oh people are writing stuff for me that i like I had that no is idea. so cool. Um, I mean, really, that is so it, awesome. It, it changed my life. I would not be sitting here talking to you right now if I hadn't. I'm like 99% sure. Um, so, but but as a writer, too, like it, it not only reaches readers because mm-hmm. A, it's free, and B, it's like, you know, no barrier to entry. Anybody can, can consume it. Anybody can yep. create it if they want. And largely speaking, there is a kind of unwritten code within the you know like the sphere no matter which one you're in that like you can kind of tell when somebody is new to it or when someone's really young and people tend to then adjust their criticism and their praise Mm -hmm. based on that i the first thing i ever posted when i was like 12 i'm gonna say i was 12 um i was like (laughs) yeah i was like a 300 word chapter Right. That I just like spat out and put on the Internet um, on fanfiction.net, in case you're wondering, um, which has an app now, which is hilarious. AO3 still doesn't have an app. Whatever. <laughs> Get on that um, AO3. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Um, I shouldn't have to like zoom in I to, to click on a tab. That. I'm like, yeah. It's trash. It's trash. <laughs> it's no good. I like and I'm accidentally clicking the wrong thing. And it's like a whole thing. Um, but I, I, uh, I remember my very first review was this really, really nice person who was like, I see what you are going for, and I think you have a good start here. However, I would take it down, and I would rewrite it, maybe make it a little bit longer, 
<laughs> and like it was just this really sweet just like critique that was just like I think you're doing a good job this is clearly the first thing you ever put out there and I'm happy for you but like here's some you know here's some tips and I took it and I ran with it um and I think I, that's a very similar experience to a lot of people this like idea of fandom kind of being a really safe mm-hmm. space to explore stuff without like you're not sitting down and going, I'm going to write a whole no. novel, you yeah. know, first thing. You're like, I'm going to play with these characters that I know. And I'm going to, you know, stretch my muscles. And I'm going to learn how to mm-hmm. craft prose. I'm going to learn what people like to read. I'm going to learn how pacing yeah. works. Um, I'm going to learn my limits. Um, and, like, obviously, you know, it doesn't always work out. Not everyone writes fan fiction and then no. becomes and an so, author. But, some... you know, I, most <laughs> of us, I think, have written fan fiction. There's, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's an outlet. It's an outlet for their feelings and how they're processing the world, yeah. which is great. Like I, And there's not many places within fandom that we can look at and say, this is a safe spot in fandom. I feel like yeah, people that do a lot of fanfic reading and writing, if somebody does try to come in and, and be a jerk about things, they really do circle the wagons and they're like, yeah, that's not how we operate. And no. it's just fantastic. No. Like, I mean, I don't trust my daughters with very many websites but i told my oldest i said if you want to read fan fiction here i will make you an ao3 like account like i mean it is one of the few places that i feel like she could go in there and it would be fine there's gonna be troubling material but here's the thing i i always say this in the bookstore kids know their limits if something is something they cannot handle they will put it down um and I, it's so funny. I, it's just brought to mind uh, when Ruby Dixon's first special edition of Iceman of Barbarians came out. Um, I had it on my staff picks right at the front of the store because of who I am as a person. <laughs> and this like 10 year old boy picked it up and was like, I want this book. This looks amazing. And the dad right in front of the counter took it from him and started reading the back out loud in the middle of the store. And I and it was just like, you know, is this something you really want? And he starts reading the blurb on the back. And I literally like I had this moment where I was like, I could let this continue. I could let this continue and I could let him buy this book. However, there is a, like, I don't think, listen, I am here to say kids will put down something they can't handle. And I think he would put it down and that's okay. That's fine. But I was like, but I don't think I can, I I don't think Ruby would want me to let let this happen. So I, so I like, I really agree. I was like, um, sir, sir, (laughs) that's no. That's not a... And he looked at me and he was like, what? And I was like, no. <laughs> and all I could think of was the first scene with Vectal going down on Georgie in the game. And I was like, no, 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 no. Well, and yeah. Ruby would want this. Thing, like, I mean, I do put boundaries. I'm like, okay, girls, these are your boundaries. These are the things I don't yeah. want you messing with. But they're like 10 yeah. times braver than I am. Like, they're all in... They're into yeah. some really macabre stuff that, I mean, their dad and yeah. I... We have to make sure we have we look at it. We make sure it's okay. We ask them yeah. why do you like this. But I was never mm-hmm. the kid that went for the, like the um, the horror novels or anything like that. Whereas yeah. my two daughters are very much like, ooh, there's so much blood, and I'm like, okay, well, how much blood are we talking about, and what exactly happens? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I I am all for boundaries and limits, but I also agree with you that there are times when kids are going to be like, okay, well, yeah, I'm not really liking this, so. I'm just going to stop. I mean, I remember doing it as a kid. Then again, I also picked up uh, Cressley Cole's Kiss of a Demon King when I was 13 and read that shit all the way through. So what are you going to (laughs) do? Well, there is, 
I mean, I have um, bought my daughter some preteen uh, books with romance and things like that in them. And I told her, yeah. I said, you know, mommy's books are very adult. And I said, you have to be a little bit older. But if when you're older, you want to read them, I am fine with that. Um, I don't sure. think she ever will because ew. No, <laughs> definitely not. Books, so yeah, not going to happen. Yeah. But. That's that's so funny. I mean, yeah, I like all you can do is is give them the tools to be like, yes, I'm okay with this. Yeah. No, I'm not. Right. Like that's and that's that's a, a wonderful thing. That was the one time I've ever intervened. Like I've seen, you know, 10 year old girls walk out with copies of Bridgerton, you know, like I'm like, sure, go off, <laughs> you know, whatever. Maybe a little wake yeah. something inside of you. God go with you, child. Um but that particular book, I had this moment where I was like, I don't yeah. think, I don't, the dad clearly is not going to vet this. And that's, I, and I can't, if, I when can't, that, I, when you that know. When older though, I will say quite the instruction manual. He could learn some things. <laughs> he could learn some things. Unfortunately, he does not have the correct equipment for certain positions, yeah. shall we yeah, say? certain things that he's in the book. not going to, yeah, but um, I'm all for. We can't all I'm, be like 10 foot tall yeah, aliens. I'm all for. Uh, teens that identify as male reading romance novels. <laughs> Go love for it. it. Love it. And, you know, I, I see it. And I, I think he just kind of saw the alien on the cover and was it like, was, this looks great. And I was, was like, I cool agree cover. with you. Yes. It's very cool cover. I had it at the front of the store. It was, I laughed about that for like a solid hour afterwards. It was a funny, like the dad reading the blurb out loud in the middle of the store was just, <laughs> uh, like I wanted to record yeah, it. And, and to read. <laughs> like it was... And, like, the kid was just, just grabbing, like, whatever. So I didn't feel too bad because he clearly didn't even really want it. But, like, at the same time, I was like, this is just hilarious. Um, but I think here at the end of the episode, more or less, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> we should talk about what you have coming up because I know you I have a book have coming, coming up. I don't know when this is uh, releasing, but... Um... I have the te- I have the technology right. and the information. Um, my in the moment. So in the I moment do have the I'll first have book in my Monsters and Artifacts series um, that will be live July twenty second, and the book is called Feral. Um, it is a grumpy Scottish werewolf who falls in love with a bookish, sunshiny, uh, curvy woman. Um, the series is a had me yep, at grumpy, sunny and grumpy. Um, the, the series is a mashup of Monster Romance and Warehouse 13, if anybody knows Warehouse 13. <laughs> That's such a deep <laughs> cut! Oh my I'm god, I'm discovering Trish. that it is a deep cut. I'm like, seriously? I love that show. I was a, I was a huge sci-fi slut, though, for sure. Sci-fi channel, I've watched all of Eureka Me like too. six it's times. It's my happy place. So, yeah, there's... Yeah. Um, for those of you that are familiar with the Secret Archive from the Silver City Celestials, it's kind of like the Secret Archive in the fallout of what happened at the end of the other series. They're trying to mm-hmm. rebuild. Um, and yeah. um, so it's each book is pretty much a standalone romance. So there's no big overarching plot mm-hmm. like there was in the last series. You can read each book on its own. Um, and that first book comes out in July, but the pre-order goes live on June 29th. So you can start pre-ordering. Okay. That. Well, then that will be um, the day this nice. comes out. So it'll be up for pre-order. Yes. And so the cover will have been You can do that now. Too. So I know. Nice. I'm very excited about that. 
Yes. Um, uh, yeah, you can definitely, I'll put links and everything below so, so everyone can find all the good stuff, um, and all of your, your social media and whatever, but just in case they want to be stubborn <laughs> and don't want to click on anything, where can people I find you? I hang out on Instagram at Trish Heinrich, and, um, yes. also you can find me on my website, um, at, uh, trishheinrich.com, um. Got some good colors going on there, <laughs> Trish, let me just compliment you. It's in I do love a bright yeah, I'm pink. I'm trying to. I'm. I was working on um, redesigning it because it was for my superhero pen name, and I think I went a little overboard in the pink. So I'm asking a friend. I'm like, "Can you help me out on this?" I disagree. Oh, but then again, I am who I am. Well, I wasn't and sure. Everyone. I was like, I need another set of eyes because I like pink, but I don't know about everybody else. I mean, I love pink. I love pink. I love bright colors. I mean, but if you've ever seen any of my art, then you know that. <laughs> Well, then, if, if your listeners love it, go to my website. You can see all the bright, pretty colors. Yeah. Uh, and you can also pre-order the book there, too, um, if you if you cool. want to go there and pre-order it. So. Awesome. All right. I love that. Well, all the links will be below if you do want to click them or if you want to be a crazy person and, go I don't know, listen to someone say <laughs> something and then hunt for it on your own, that's also <laughs> fine. It's a weird amount of people who were like, Abigail, where do I find that book that you mentioned in the podcast? I'm like... If you just scroll, just scroll. scroll. I do all the work for you. I listed like 12 books in the Mafia episode. Like, please, I beg of you. Um, Yeah, it was. I gotta go back (laughs) and find that one. Oh, that was uh, this week's episode. It was quite something. Um, Poor, poor Victoria Avalon. It roped her into doing a two part (laughs) with me, and she had great regrets. Um, Okay. My stuff. Where do you find my stuff? Well, I have lots of stuff going on constantly. Um, as of the release of this episode, I have a novella collection coming out um, called Fragile Beings. comes out on July 12th uh, in paperback, in ebook, and on Kindle Unlimited. Um, it's got three stories in it. One of them's got a demon's. One of them's got a dragon man's. One of them's got a sentient um, fog man. Nice. Uh, There's mostly, mostly I did, did as a, well, San Francisco has a joke that our fog is named Carl. Um, and I did just kind of write a smutty novella about him. So Valid. what are you going to do I about love it? it. Um, so if you like any of those things, please, please, please get the book and leave a review or whatever you want to do. Or just recommend it to your friends. I don't know. Or take pictures of yourself holding the book. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm easy to please. It's not, it's not hard. Uh, it's got cool hands on it that I drew and painted and what all. I don't know. Um, I've got a Patreon where you can read my books and stuff. Everything I ever publish goes on Patreon first. Um, that is a guarantee. Um, so if you like stuff, you can get books like six months ahead of time. I release things as serials. So that's patreon.com slash works by Abigail. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Kingdom Thirst, Abigail K. Kelly on Twitter, but also Kingdom Thirst on Twitter. You'll find everything. Everything's connected. Um, and that's about it. I mean, you can email me. You can send me something to my post office box thing, whatever the fuck that's <laughs> called. PO box. That's the word. We got there. I took a journey, but we got there. Um, you can send me whatever. I don't know. A card. I don't know. Something. I don't know. That's cool. Yeah, something. I got to open this up. This little tiny box, and it's always fun to find stuff inside. Uh, but uh, my novel comes out on August 6th. I, Trish, I decided to do a novella collection and a, a novel come out within a month. And it was. Yeah. No, yeah. I've done that. I, I've done something similar. And um, just breathe, breathe. 
you do it you do it once and I have a feeling you no, don't do it again. No, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> no. 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 It's all good. It's fine. I'm writing book two right now and trying not to think about it. Um but that's it. So I think I think yeah, I'm probably missing stuff, but eh. But scroll down. She might she might have left it. Yeah, uh, scroll down. In the notes. Everything. It's beautiful in there. And I try to make it funny. I try. Uh, and all the links I do bitlies. You, it you looks don't want nice. to miss a joke, people. She might leave something secret in there. Or you do or you do want to miss a joke because you know me. <laughs> and that hey, that's fair. I would say that's fair. <laughs> or maybe maybe they it. want to see how bad it is. I don't know. See, oh, they don't want to miss out. They know. I, li- I like that humor. So mm. That's just me. Hey, Trish. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. You'll Thank love you. it here. I actually, I've had such a good time. Thank you so much for having oh, me. Oh, you've been a delight. Thank you for being on, Trish. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And listeners, um, I'll see you next week. Kingdom of Thirst is a member of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find all of our episodes and tons of new podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.